You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome to an unfiltered episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. Um, I tell you what, I was I was excited there for a little bit for shed hunting. Uh, last week, I went uh, shed hunting with a buddy of mine on a brand new property that he had access to. Actually, his dad bought it, um, and it is. You know, I felt real good for the guy. He, he's a friend of mine, and I, I walk. It's like two hundred acres. And I walk it with him, and it is absolutely a money farm. And we did some shed hunting. And uh, I'm going to talk about some some shed hunting type, uh, not necessarily the strategy of shed hunting on how you can find shed antlers, but how you can, what I do if I find a shed, and what that typically means for the strategy of locating deer movement or locating, um, you know, or, or locating a specific deer. And I think a lot of it's going to be revolving around a specific deer. But with that said, I went out, did some shed hunting, found some sheds, had a real, you know, you know had a fun time. And at the same time, uh, here in Iowa, yesterday it snowed like six inches. So I had my schedule kind of cleared for the, for the afternoon to get out and go to the, the farm that I have up close to my house and do some shed hunting on it and some of the like uh, public land down here. But now we have all the snow on the ground again, which makes things real difficult. So now what do I have to do? I have to wait until it all, you know, it all comes up and, or all melts and, and goes away so I can get out and start shed hunting. However, 
with that said, I still have deer on trail camera that are holding both sides. Now, nothing gigantic that I would be interested in shooting, but some of some of this can be an indicator. Uh, there's multiple bucks on camera that uh, are still holding both sides, and that can be an indicator of when it's time to get out and go do some shed hunting. So, with that said, I haven't had any you know real desire to go out to this farm because i do have trail cameras on it and most of the deer are still holding and here it is you know you're listening to this on march 9th so i don't know man we'll see what happens hopefully this warm spell we're supposed to get this week and the rest of the week doesn't um hit with another cold front coming through and bring any you know any more snow i'm just kind of over snow this year especially on the scoop that i just did on my driveway it was one of those really heavy type snows so it sucked uh, to scoop it and uh yeah so there's that now what else oh i gotta do a little housekeeping real quick just a couple reminders i have been launching a um, my south dakota slash nebraska mule deer and whitetail hunts on the sportsman's nation youtube channel so make sure you guys not only are subscribed to the youtube channel but go give those videos a look um the last two i just launched one today but the the other ones are just kind of what lead up to me killing my buck in south dakota and then uh, some other just really cool how i hunt you know, it's, it's not really how to, it's just me documenting my hunts for fun. And, uh, it's just, it shows what I do when, when I'm out there and I had an absolute blast doing it. And, uh, hopefully you guys uh, in, enjoy those videos. So go check those videos out, uh, on there. And then while you're on there, check out some of the cooking videos that I've done as well. So, uh, there, there should be more video content coming up on a regular basis. Now that, uh, the season's over, I'm going to put out some more cooking videos and I'm also going to be, uh, probably some, some strategy type videos. Uh, I, I got a really good feedback from the whiteboard whitetails that, uh, uh, basically strategy that I put down on a whiteboard and so we'll see how that all works but other than that we're, we got a really good episode today uh, and it's just going to be me bullshitting it's an unfiltered episode so hopefully you guys enjoy it but before we get into the, today's episode I do want to talk about four of our partners here real quick first one is Novex now I have tried real hard to try to get Novex on the, uh, I'm trying real hard to get those guys. They're really busy right now with the, the brand launch and, um, and getting everything like all their loose ends tightened up, but I'm sure they're going to come on and uh, talk about the transition from, you know, lone wolf, not being a thing anymore and, um, Novex coming on to the market and hanging, you know, and, and taking over, uh, the, what lone wolf was doing basically so the stands the functionality the made in america all the same for the most part um their smaller stand which was the assault now it's called the helo it, it has some really cool weight reduction on the platform it kind of uh, cuts in a little bit and it looks like it's some weight reduction they have the echo which was the alpha so the same you know the same functionality and the the what makes these stands so awesome is the left to right leveling and i think some people call that the back wing it's the bracket that's up by the seat and it allows your stand to not only level uh forward and backward but 
right and left. So when you're in a crooked tree, let's say leaning left, you can have your uh, you can have your bracket off to the left, and it it basically makes the seat and the, the, the posts stick straight up and you can be more comfortable. You're not leaning with the tree, right? So, and, and it's better to be in the tree that's gonna give you the shot as opposed to a straight tree, which you you might be off and, and wishing at that point. So go visit novexoutdoors.com. I'm a huge fan of the Hilo and the four sticks. That's how I roll. Next is uh, Vortex Optics. Man, these guys are gonna be bringing to market some cool products here pretty soon. I'm actually going up to their uh, factory and, or not their factory, yeah, I guess it would be a factory slash warehouse slash uh, headquarters up in Wisconsin on on April 8th. A lot of content coming out of that visit about their products, along with some cool stories from the guys that uh, uh, work there. Great group of guys, and that reflects on their product and their company, right? They have awesome customer service. They have They have probably the best warranty in optics on the planet. You break it, you send it in, they fix it for free and send it back to you. You can't beat that. Um, so go visit vortexoptics.com, rifle scopes, red dots, binoculars, range finders, spotting scopes, and uh, read up uh, about their VIP warranty, man. It's uh, amazing. And like, like I said, great company. Excalibur crossbows. I will be, I will be picking up an Excalibur crossbow for my family this summer at some point. Um, I'm not looking for anything crazy fancy. I'm looking for an introduction crossbow for my uh, for my family. Uh, so kids can use it. Uh, my wife can use it if she wants. Um, if I guess I ever decide to pick up a crossbow, I'm not really in that point of my life right now, but, uh, uh, Excalibur has been around for 30 years and th they have stood the test of time because they have, um, they have put out a very quality product and they have amazing customer uh, service. Again, it's, it's the people that make the product. So, uh, and you can take that in multiple ways. So, uh, excaliburcrossbow.com, go take a look at their offerings. And last but not least, uh, Exodus outdoor gear. I talked with Jake at the Iowa deer classic. It was, uh, this weekend, it was great to catch up with him and, uh, BS a little bit about how, uh, their cameras are doing and all that stuff. So if you're looking for a trail camera, and this is all I want, a trail camera that works, right? They have a great team of people behind them. Then you need to check out exodusoutdoorgear.com. You can take a look at all of the products that these guys offer. They have the, they have the lift, they have the, uh, the render, they have the Trek. Now the Trek is one of those cameras that's, uh, it's more affordable, less features, but more affordable. I have a handful of these and these are the cameras that I go and I leave out in the woods uh, for, you know, once the, once the season's over, I leave the treks out in the woods and then I go collect them in the spring when I'm either turkey hunting or looking for sheds or mushrooms. And that tells me what ha what's happening after the deer season. So all that intel is important. They also have a, a render and they call it the SP18, which is a solar power panel that you can collect to your or connect to your uh, trail cameras. Um, you know, really, really, really good products. So uh, exodusoutdoorgear.com, go check them out. And now, it's me snapping my, here's, here's my bad hand. Here's my good hand. No, notice any, one's a sharper anyway. Shed hunting. 
right now here's here's the thing that i see this time of year like people are stretching when it comes to strategy and and who knows this could be a really short episode i'm good at talking so i'll probably drag it out but what we have here is shed hunting and people are for some reason trying to connect shed hunting to hunting strategy and yes you could potentially connect the two. I don't think it happens a lot because I do think core areas shift, especially when, you know, there's a lot of snow on the ground or food sources run out or, you know, the acorn crop goes away and there's none left, you know, there's none left for the winter months. So what do they do? They have to relocate and it could be a mile. It could be half a mile could be a quarter mile but they're relocating at some point throughout the the year their core areas shift um, vegetation and stem count changes obviously uh, throughout the years and uh, or throughout the year and so what we have here is you know i don't think finding a shed is a good representation of a and i'm going to say this core area now if a deer drops a shed and you find it then you found it in his area. But I don't think when we, when we fast forward to the hunting season, unless you have a ton of standing corn or um, food plots, or you have the ability to hold and manage deer on your own property, finding a shed isn't as important or of a, of a, a data piece as it would be if you did own all of your own property. Okay. So if I had 200, let's just say I had 200 acres standing corn or, or food plots or, you know, the D and I had great, uh, timber stand improvement and, you know, high stem count. And I had water, I had everything a deer needs their core area in the, on this farm is obviously going to be smaller. And I say that outside of the rut. Now we all know crazy things happen outside of the rut, but for the most part, these deer are sticking to one spot where they feel comfortable. And if there's food and there's water and there's cover and there's, uh, you know, low pressure, then they don't need to go anywhere. Right. So you take that, you take some of those things out of the equation. Let's, let's say food, for example, you take food out of the equation, maybe a food source dries up, the crops get tilled under, um, the acorn crop runs out. It's not quite that time for the buds to start coming out of the ground or on the trees. Uh, so they're going to be going and looking for a more suitable food source. And then they start to wander across the landscape. And that's when potentially you could find a giant shed on the property you have access to, or maybe a deer that you're following leaves for a while and disappears. And you don't know where he dropped his shed. He just happens to show up in that next, you know, the next spring. Uh, let's just say summer when the velvet starts to grow back. So this, and, and I'm going to put this into context here. This weekend, I went shed hunting with a buddy on a property that he just, per, or that his dad just purchased. So he uh, has access to it. And we went out shed hunting. I found four sheds. Um and I'm trying to, and I, I was sitting back before I was recording this episode, trying to figure out if those sheds meant anything as far as where I found them. Okay. This is a farm that is, a, it, 
it's a great piece of property, has great cover. It has water, the food, uh, the, all the ag fields are tilled under all of the, there, there was some acorns in the, in the timber. Um, I think neighboring farms may have had some food plots. So there was definitely food in the area, but combined, I think we only found five or six. I think we found six sheds total on 200 acres. And some of it was early, you know, it was a little early. So the deer, you know, and like I said, down here, the, the deer haven't really dropped yet. So, or where I'm at, the deer haven't all dropped yet. But what I'm getting at is, um, I think they were moving around looking for food and I, and maybe not long distances, but where did I find these sheds? Okay. So the first two sheds that I found and where I found them to me indicated something. Okay. I found them in a, which would be a South or excuse me, a North facing slope full of thickness. I mean, it was crazy thick right up on kind of top of the, of this, uh, this ridge bedding area galore, tons of uh, deer poop, tons of beds in this area, found the sheds. Now they were a year old, so they weren't fresh, but still finding a shed means a buck was there at some point. And so, so I'm looking at the, the terrain and I'm saying, okay, this is a good bedding area. This is a, um, this would be perfect for a, a South wind because the slope is facing North. And so it's great habitat. And, and I would say this is where the deer are bedding they have multiple uh, access routes to get in here to escape, especially on a south wind. I bet you they could feel real comfortable. And so it's really less about where the the where you find the shed, but more but more about the terrain feature that this shed is in. Is it in a bedding area? Is it in a I found the shed in a bedding area. I found the shed in a pinch point. I found the shed in a travel route from bedding to a food source, or I found this, this in a food source. So it's one of those things where the, it's great to find the shed, but it's, I feel like it's less about the actual shed. It just lets you know that a deer was there at some point. Now, if this is a, if this is a deer that you've been chasing for a handful of years, or maybe it's a three-year-old that you say, hey, you know what, I'm going to let this, I'm going to let this three-year-old go for a year. And I'm, I'm just going to try to follow him this year and hopefully try to get him as a four-year-old or, or whatever the, whatever your strategy is for a particular deer, then you can take that. Then you can just, I guess, use it as a reference. I don't think it necessarily is going to tell you that a, uh, a a deer is going to do something that makes him killable, especially in March, right? Like the everything's changed come October and November, right? And then you throw the breeding season into it. And uh, it, so where a deer actually is um, uh, moving in October and November, I think that has a little, very little to do with where the, the shed is. Now, what this will tell you, though, is like, hey, this deer is here. I have trail camera pictures of him here. I have uh, pictures of him in December here. I, I saw him from the tree stand here, and I found his shed here. So one thing that I do, and this is, this is kind of crazy, and one thing it kind of reminds me of is uh, 
Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, when he's trying to figure out, like he he's working in a mailroom and he, and he thinks there's some kind of conspiracy theory going on. So he's got all of the, um, he's smoking cigarettes, he's drinking coffee, he's got all this stuff kind of plastered to a wall, strings connecting sh- certain news articles and pictures, and it's just craziness. So one thing that I do is I'll take a map and I'll lay it out. And I, I do this for a particular deer. And so every every data point is a dot. And so a trail camera picture of this particular buck here, dot. Uh, found his shed here, dot. I uh, got pictures of him over here, dot. Saw him from the tree stand here, dot. So then what I'll do is I will take those dots. And from one dot to all the other dots, I will create, I will draw lines. And I'll do that for all the dots. So then you have, once you're done with it, you have some kind of uh, like very shitty, awkward star looking thing. But what this does is it creates a shape or an area that this deer calls home, right? I would, I would use this shape to identify his area, his core area. So in 2018, I did this, right? I had a, um, I think it was October 1st. I went and checked some trail cameras and I got a picture of a buck that was a four-year-old the previous, previous year. He blew up. He was still in velvet. The picture was from September and it was only one picture of him. I only had one, one series of three pictures from this particular buck. I knew who he was though. I knew that I found his shed the previous year. I had pictures of him over in different areas of the, uh, of where I found his sheds. Uh, I had pictures of him from the previous year down that same fence line. I had pictures of him, uh, to the West a little bit, but for that particular year, that's all I had of him. That's all I had. So from the trail camera picture to the shed, I drew a line from the trail camera picture to the picture from the previous year. I drew down that fence line. I drew another line and then I connected the two. So what that did is did is it created a triangle, a three point triangle. So then what I did was I, in this, in this triangle, the, the trail camera pick of him from that year in velvet in September was the point of the triangle. And then it kind of went out to the base and it created this weird this weird triangle but i looked in that long skinny triangle for uh for a terrain feature that would funnel deer movement and so i found it it was this long draw that led up to a uh, a field edge kind of curled in and what it did was it created a spot where deer could kind of walk into and they could scent check an entire field with based off whatever wind direction, whether it was from the east or the north, it would all kind of funnel down into the slow spot and then funnel down into the um, funnel down into the draw. So a deer could work up this draw and not even need to go look into the field. They could scent check it and know, hey, there's either deer here or maybe there's a threat here. So what I did was on a south west wind. I, I kind of went in from the side and set up right along this edge where this edge, uh, the real thick fence line opened up into the timber, creating some edge. And that met the, uh, 
that met the terrain feature of that long draw. And then it just got thicker in, as you got up into the field. And sure enough, I, I went in, and I was kind of struggling lo, uh, locating deer that year. And that's what made me print out a map, draw those uh, arrows into it. You can do it now with hunt stand, but print out a map, do it and just get a visual of what you're looking at. So you can go, uh, you can go on hunt stand too and do the same thing or any mobile app, draw a line. And in that highlighted area or in that area, I looked for that terrain feature and I just went and set, set up on it, looking for it. Sure enough, there was some sign when I walked in, this was a run and gun setup. Uh, I walked in right after a rainstorm, like the last raindrop hit. And I was, you know, taking my, I don't remember if I was taking it, my, I think I was taking my raincoat off and he showed up at like four or three fifty or something like that. And sure enough, that buck showed up. It was the only deer I saw that entire night, but he showed up in that terrain feature right there. So that is an example of, and I shot and killed him, but that was an example of using a shed as a data point. Now, if I did the same thing and made this, you know, I, I take that, uh, I took that shed out of the equation. I probably still would have been hunting there, but it didn't hurt, right? It, it helped me triangulate a position of, of a terrain feature that I felt this was in this deer's shape or this core area that I established and I set up there. And so I feel like it, it, it's probably overboard and you might not be able to do that all the time because sometimes you can find a, a, a deer shed in the middle of a field. And obviously that deer is bent in that field, but you don't really know what direction, especially if it's a, a nocturnal f- f- uh, food source. But what you can do here is, so I, um, I, I did that little mapping uh, experiment and it worked for me. Would I do that all the time? Probably not. Uh, but as far as that particular time, that shed, where I found that shed, led me to making a move several months later on a deer that I had history with. Now, I f- that, would, that would probably work um, if you're after one specific deer. Right. But for me, if I take, if I take that into equation, deer, uh, into the equation, multiple deer, or you have a hit list of several deer, I, I, I may not be doing that. I did that for two, two bucks, that buck. And then two, two years later, when I was chasing that giant, um, like a a 220 incher that I have no idea where he's gone. I'm pretty sure he's dead. But with that said, I feel like that data point was important. And will I do that all the time? Probably not. I, I don't really take into consideration a shed being a, a driving force in my hunting strategy. Terrain features are driving forces. Food sources are driving sources. Wind directions are driving sources. Um, precipitation is a driving source. For me, temperature, moon phase, two things that don't really... Uh, don't really get me fired up. I'm going to, if I'm going to, if I have time to hunt, I'm going to go hunt no matter the temperature and no matter the moon phase, but wind direction has a direct implication to where I set up. Food source has a direct uh, implication to where I set up and terrain feature, probably the biggest 
and, and most weighted um, category of where and how I set up. Now, terrain feature with uh, mixed in with a uh, uh, wind direction is very important. Okay, so that's how I that's how I make all my decisions. But as far as sheds are concerned, not really, man. Because I'm not, I typically don't hunt one particular deer unless I have that deer pegged and I have tons of information, uh, whether it's past encounters or seeing them from the tree stand or having um, uh, history with this deer in some way, shape or form. Shed may help, but it's not a, like I said, it's not a huge determining factor. factor. Just that one instance is how. Now, what, what, what have we learned over the course of this podcast and all the other hunting podcasts and blogs and videos is that there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? That, that time that worked for me, that may not work for me uh, another time. It actually could potentially be a, a hindrance if that shed was found so far out of this deer's area that I, I started hunting terrain features that were between where all the data points were and where I found the shed that I, I'm basically thinking he's there, but he's more closer, you know, he's, he's closer to this core area. Therefore I would have to look at that closer to that core area to find terrain features that led to, uh, you know, that, that would be closer to where I think he, uh, where he lives. So now that incoherent rambling that you just heard about that specific story and how sheds, you know, were important for that particular example, but not necessarily how I base my hunting strategy. It's, it's a culmination of everything that you find that leads us to be successful in the woods on a consistent basis. And I don't think See, how do I put this? I think that everything matters. Like every everything matters like sign, historic data, um, terrain features. Uh, like for me, like I said, moon phase and temperature don't play a huge impact into how I make my decision. Precipitation does. Access routes do. Wind direction does. Uh, time of year does. And I think if you're going to, if you're going to mess around with historical data, it's good to keep some of that stuff in the back of your head, but don't rely on it too much because as we all know, that, that stuff can shift throughout the, throughout the years. Like a a, a deer's core area may shift. There could be, and there's a tons of examples of this power vacuums right? The Dominic buck lived in this area for three years. He was taken out by either another buck or, um, uh, in this example of power vacuum would be when a dominant buck is removed from the landscape from a hunter, there's doe groups that are in there and another buck is going to move into that area and he's going to call it home and he's going to try to dominate that area. He's going to try to show, show that. And I've seen that work where, um, I had a buddy, he was chasing a, a, a dominant, big dominant buck. He took it out of the landscape. And then that rut, when all those other, when that buck was gone, trail camera pictures of all these mature bucks coming into the area, basically jockeying for position in that October timeframe to take over that, 
that area. And that, I think that was probably one of the best, uh, best years he ever had from as far as seeing deer, because, uh, he, he took one out and he had a landowner's tag and he, he was just seeing trail camera pick after trail camera pick. And from the stand, just deer cruising all over the place, trying to jockey for position on, on this new farm. And eventually one comes in that, that power vacuum kind of that movement from other deer kind of settles down. They found out, Hey, I live here now you stay away. And they, and then that's a good problem to have, by the way, right? Uh, One dominant buck, he grows up, he feels comfortable. He stays there. You take him out. Another one moves right in or, you know, his son moves in and you just have this repeating cycle of, of, you know, mature deer just staying on the, the farms that you hunt. So, and sometimes that, that uh, dominant buck isn't always the biggest antlered buck or even the oldest, man. I've seen, I've heard guys going, man, I'll be honest with you. I shot this, this two-year-old or this three-year-old this year because he was very aggressive to all the deer and just chasing them all out and saying, he stay away from me and, and being aggressive and age nor, you know, body size probably has something to do with it, but antler size doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it. Uh, if you have a big three-year-old who's very aggressive, man, he'll, He'll, he won't be afraid to go push a four-year-old around or an older deer around, especially if that deer is kind of calm and not aggressive and things like that. So whatever the, the rant there was, hopefully you guys found it, found it informative. But um, back to the strategy kind of things, this time of year, and I've, I've already mentioned this. Um, so on my buddy's farm, I found those two sheds. They were in a bedding area. I will. I would look at that and I'd say, okay, these two deer. If those sheds just happened to be from a deer that I was following or knew about, I would definitely take that into consideration. Saying, okay, he's here, he's in this area. Maybe put a trail camera or a tree stand or a, in in that area and get something in there, so that when the time comes, you you can get in there and you don't have to mess around with it. Now, on public land, that's obviously uh, a different story, but. Um, if you have access to the, the private ground and you can set up in advance, I think I think that would do great. Now, the biggest shed I found from a deer that the the guy told me he has hundreds of pictures of, and it's a it was probably it was a, a big shed, and I ended up giving it to him because it's his farm. But uh, I had access, or uh, I found this shed in kind of a weird spot, based off of. Everything I know about deer hunting, I wouldn't think that 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 deer would be going. Let's say the finger ran from the east into the field and, and then came out out of the in, out of the west. So it went low ground east, high ground west, and and it looked like the deer was on a trail that was just kind of sitting or on a that kind of cut through there. And from my experience deer don't necessarily go through the, you know, they don't take these crazy shortcuts. They go path least resistance or they'll, they'll walk on that military crest that we always talk about. Um, trying to, they're not like, they're not doing these hard right angles through, uh, drainages. They're not going straight down then straight up. They may angle or things like that, but they're not necessarily, um, they're not necessarily, uh, um, they're, they're not, how do I put this? They're not, uh, just walking straight lines 
through, through this. And that's what it looked. If I had to guess, that's what this deer did. Now, where did I, where I found the shed, unless he was, I, I don't know. Something tells me he was, he was cutting across it, not going up it. And so just because there was a, another big little divot in the landscape, there was a down tree. It was kind of tucked in there. Um, there was no sign of a bed, just kind of wide open timber, uh, in this particular area. And I said to myself, man, this is an awkward place to find a shed. Like I don't find many sheds where this shed was at. And so that tells me he was just kind of moving through the area. Maybe he, something spooked him. Maybe, uh, uh, earlier that week, uh, his brother was out there on just taking four wheeler rides with the kids. And maybe he got up and he, he ran across, but what that does tell you is that deer is on that farm in March. And so that's good for the landowner to know because once he starts putting more food in, because their, their plan is to put more food plots in, um, do probably do some timber work in there and things like that, this deer's still going to stay there uh, throughout the year. He's a homebody buck. He's there all year round, and he doesn't go very far, which is awesome knowledge to have when you are trying to manage deer on your property. You know, this buck is going to stay here in this area. And then as the, you know, as the, the season gets closer and you start um, uh, monitoring your trail cameras uh, in that September, uh, no, August, September, uh, early October timeframe, you're going to be able to see where this deer is at and then move in on him. But I don't think that that particular shed was going to give me any type of information of where I would, where the best likelihood for me would be to set up to try to kill him. I just, the only thing it really does is saying, Hey, this deer is here in March and he's also here in November and October and December and whatever. So he's, he's a homebody buck. And that, that was the indication that we got from all the information that, uh, the landowner shared with me, all the trail camera picks, um, and, and things like that. So it's cool to, uh, it's cool to know that, but as far as a strategy standpoint, it's, you know, for me, I wouldn't be making any huge impacts based off of where that particular shed was found. So the whole point of this is, um, keep an idea where the shed was found too. And I think that will indicate whether or not you should use that knowledge for a strategic tree stand placement or, or, uh, a, an ambush for a hunting location. Sometimes it might, sometimes it not 50, 50 rule. Um, or you could just not listen to anything that I say. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I hope I did a good job of expressing what I'm thinking. Um, one thing that I don't, I don't think I'm very good at is explaining my strategy, how and why, like the what my decision process looks like. And for me, sometimes it's even very difficult because for, what is it, 17 years now, see, 2006, 14, it's 15, uh, yeah, something like that, whatever. So 16, yeah. So like 15 to 17 years now, I've uh, been running this calculation in my brain constantly of where I need to set up, how I set up wind direction, terrain features, food sources, um, if it's going to rain or not, like time of, you know, whether it's an afternoon hunt, it, it, it comes, it does really come natural for me now. 
And what I mean by that is I just, I react instead of overcalculate. And there are times, don't get me wrong, where I still overcalculate, but um, that that overcalculation typically leads me to the same spot as my as my initial reaction does. So take that, everything that I've just said with a grain of salt, I hope that it uh, allows you you know, if you do find a really good shed or you find a shed period or, you know, just just think of what that deer is doing. Open your mind. Think of where he's at. Do you have history with this deer? Where else was he at? Try that trick. Um, try that little mapping experiment where you put all the dots on a map, draw lines to all the other dots, come up with this shape, and then within that shape, identify some awesome hunting locations and terrain features and i think that that would that would help people out a lot that's that's really all i wanted to to say and i can't say that in one minute and then call it a podcast so thanks for listening to all the other bullshit that that went along with this uh with this uh, episode so again thank you guys very much go check out the sportsman's nation youtube channel uh new videos have just been launched there of my south dakota and nebraska mule deer hunts um please go out and support the companies that support this podcast novex vortex exodus excalibur hunt stand wasp and ozonix uh also be sure to subscribe to the sportsman's nation uh whitetail hunting uh, rss feed and all this information is going to come to you along with some other cool information and support all the other uh, podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation Network. Last but not least, please, it's it's time where we have to really support our hunting brothers. And just because they hunt a different species or in a different state than you, two, than you do doesn't mean that we can't support them. We really do, do need to support all of our 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 brotherhood here and that uh, means sometimes you got to stand up for something that you don't even you don't even do and and because once that's gone then they're going to go attack something else then they're going to attack something else and then they're going to attack deer hunting and uh and and don't be surprised when all of a sudden it's just like "Uh, deer hunting's gone yeah it's because we weren't concerned about the other stuff the low-hanging fruit and then all the low-hanging fruit's gone and then it's just the one thing left and uh you know a lot of people say well that will never happen well ask some of the guys who um you know some 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 uh, sporting dog type predator hunting is gone they love to do that bear hunting in certain states is gone and so uh they, they probably didn't think it was going to happen either so we have to stand up for each other and if you're out be safe have fun involve the family take a deep breath and absorb and enjoy mother nature she can she can solve a lot of your problems if you just let her and uh i'll tell you this man uh good vibes in good vibes out and we'll talk to you next time